What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Brendan Kane is one of the world's top growth hackers and founder of Seekers He is the hired gun behind companies such as MTV, Rihanna, Paramount, Ikea, Taylor Swift, Universal, and Yahoo, helping them unlock value and transform their business on a global level. His new book, One Million Followers, features in-depth interviews with celebrities, influencers, and marketing experts. One Million Followers is the ultimate guide to building your worldwide brand and unlocking all the benefits that social media has to offer. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I have ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the New Year's goals. 10,000 makes three types of shorts for every way you train. The interval short that's built for versatility and mobility and perfect if you're into a bit of everything. It comes with an optional built-in liner that's the perfect compression without being too tight. It's made from super fine Italian fabrics. Ooh, fancy. So it's not just functional, but more comfortable without losing any support. And you need that support. The foundation short that's built for durability and perfect for anything with barbells, strength training, or even a weekend adventure. The distance short, my personal favorite, it's a super lightweight short, breathable, and built for running. Also, with a built-in liner, these shorts fade away while you run. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling, and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. Brendan Kane, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am doing very well. This is one I'm really looking forward to. I know the listeners are going to get a ton out of this. We're going to under uncover your story, your book, everything you've got working on. But let's start with the framework. How do you describe what you do? Yeah, it's a great question. How do I describe who I am and what I do? At the end of the day, I would say I'm a strategist. I come up with solutions to complex problems and figure out how to grow things in the most effective and cost-efficient ways. Have you put a lot of thought into that? Oh yeah, it, uh, and I would say it, it changes It changes pretty, uh, or it's over the years, it's changed pretty often. I think I've been in digital for about 15 years and it's taken me quite a while to really focus in on what I'm best at and you know how I can provide the most value to people. 
Yeah, we're going to un- uncover your journey and how you came to exactly it is what you do. I love how clear and concise you are. You you know exactly what you do, and that leads you to the clients you work with, what you're trying to accomplish. And at what got you there, we love to decode the habits and routines people use to achieve and balance success in their lives. So what is a morning routine like for you? So my morning routine is I'm usually up pretty early, around 6 or 7 a.m., and I start off with meditation. Meditation is the cornerstone of my day. It really allows me to uh, get clear, get focused, and uh, set clear expectations for the day. And then for meditation, the next most important step is setting a gratitude list and writing down all the things that I'm grateful for, because then that sets the day in a very positive tone. And again, makes you clear on why you're here, what you're trying to achieve, and what you're trying to do. And then from there, I set off my day and just start getting into emails, I start getting into calls, and uh, and then I extend the day from there into whatever have I, whatever I've planned. Do you check your phone at all right when you wake up, or do you meditate first and then open the phone? I would say that I generally check my phone first just to make sure that there's no emergencies because I do have clients overseas. Uh, but, uh, cause generally I have to check my phone cause I use my alarm and I have to turn off the alarm. So from there, check the phone and then go into the meditation. No, that's fantastic. It seems like a pretty common theme amongst a lot of people we've interviewed. I've really gotten into recently the evening routines though. Is there anything you do to kind of set yourself up for the next day? I just try and decompress. I just, at the end of each day, I just try and take some time to rest and uh, just almost turn off my brain in such a way because the entire day is just constantly jam-packed with meetings or calls or the constant chaos of daily life. So really taking the the end of the day just to decompress and just almost turn off your brain in such a way, it helps me specifically relax so that you can go into a restful sleep and prepare yourself for the next day. Anything you like to do to decompress? Uh, just watching TV or movies or talking to friends, uh, just something that doesn't take a significant amount of, of energy because my brain is always on throughout the day. So it's always, uh, fun to be in a, in a space or it's always uh, healthy to be in a space where I don't have to be constantly thinking, uh, about, uh, strategies or clients or projects that I'm working on. Yeah, I think healthy is the key word there. I mean, you seem like you're a pretty structured guy. Do you view yourself as structured? And if so, how did you set that framework? I would say I'm structured, but I'm constantly working on that and revising that. Uh, it's taken me a long time to really get uh, adjusted to the way that my brain works. And you know, one of the, the interesting things about me is there's certain times of the day and, and it can be different from day to day, week to week, month to month, where I just feel myself I'm not in the right state of mind to work. I don't have the mental clarity. I don't have the energy. So what I always do that works for me is I take a step back. I, I, I walk away from it. Even if I had a bunch of work that I was planning to do, if I don't feel like I have the mental capacity or clarity to do it right now, I take that step back. And I just try and find a way to do something else, whether that's taking a walk, doing a meditation, going out and working out, and then coming back to it. Because I don't want to force something to work. I don't want to force myself to get through an email, to get through a call, to get through a report, 
because I feel like you don't give your clients uh, or the work that you're trying to put out the, the best quality, the, the, the most attention that it could potentially deserve. And that's why I really like to work as an entrepreneur. It gives me that flexibility versus if you're working in the office, there's that expectation where you're essentially chained to the desk and people want you behind the desk the entire day versus being an entrepreneur. You can really take the time to do things uh, right and do things at the pace that you need to do them at. I can't wait to jump into your entrepreneurial journey, but I'm curious, you mentioned meditation. Is there anything else you've implemented say in the last year that you've just gotten tremendous benefits from? Um, yeah, Wait, can you pose that question one more time? Yeah, so you mentioned meditation, um, even just decompressing, going for walks. Is there anything you've really implemented in the last year, two years that you just get great benefits from? For me, one thing that I've started to do is a daily walk is absolutely essential. I feel like it decompresses me, it helps me think clear, so it's something I've really focused on. Yeah, so there's two things that have really helped me over the past year to, to help with my health, and that health also extends to my business success. The first thing is diet. Like diet is one of the most critical things, and over the years, I've really had to learn that what you put into your body really impacts your mental clarity and your, your ability to focus, focus clearly, and to execute on a daily task that you need in order to be successful. So I'm constantly evolving what my diet looks like and testing different things that I'm eating and also getting strategic counsel and advice from, from people and experts that are in that space. Because what I've learned is that each person's different in terms of what the best diet for them is and, and what foods uh, that you take in impact that mental clarity. Uh, the second part is definitely exercise. It's like That's the most critical thing and it sounds so simple, but getting an exercise on, on a weekly basis and doing it at least five or six times a week really helps with my energy. It helps with mental clarity. So really focusing on your internal health, I've seen have a dramatic impact on your ability to be successful in business. A key takeaway for me right there is how you mentioned seeking out experts and, and learning from them. I think that's awesome advice right there. And I know the listeners are probably dying for us to jump into how you gain a million followers in 30 days, but I wanna know what the young Brendan Kane is like. You, you mentioned your entrepreneurial journey. When did that first start for you? It's a great question. So when I look back on my life, I was an entrepreneur very early on. At the age of six, I can remember picking up my toys, walking out the door, knocking on neighbors' doors and, and trying to sell my toys to the parents of my, my neighborhood uh, friends. And doing that process, I didn't realize at the time I was being an entrepreneur, it was much later on after I graduated college. Uh, but that's at the earliest stage, I remember that, that inherent drive and desire to figure out how to do things on my own, how to create a business, how to generate revenue, and the different pieces that go into that. So at the very, very earliest stage of being a kid, I had that ingrained in me. And then I don't think I truly knew that I was an entrepreneur until I got thrust into the corporate world. And straight out of college, I went into the entertainment industry working for two movie studios. And, and even though the movie industry seems so glamorous and so exciting, it is very corporate. There's that political struggle on a daily basis. And what I learned about myself is that I enjoy actually creating and doing things on a daily basis. And I don't enjoy 
the political structure of asking permission to build things on a daily basis. And I found working in the movie industry, working in a corporation, you spend more time playing that political game and trying to get approvals to build and create the things that you do versus being an entrepreneur. You have that freedom to create, create it, create whatever it is that you want to create. That's one of the number one questions I receive from listeners, young people just starting out really in that entrepreneurial journey and they're working on a desk job or a corporate and they don't understand really what's going on and, and why they can't execute on, on some of their uh, visions. So it's cool to hear you talk about that. You bring up drive and you kind of glossed over college. You started three businesses while in college. I think most college students are more concerned with the the weekend keg party. Where does that drive come from? And, and how did you even begin three businesses while in college? So where does drive come from? Drive, I think, is different for each individual person. My drive personally is coming from within. I'm motivated from within because I want to constantly test and learn and challenge myself to become the best human being possible, to provide the most pa- the value to the people out there, either in my inner circle or people I just communicate through the content that I produce on on a daily basis. Other people are externally motivated, but my personal drive is it's coming from, from within and it's just all about how I can be the best person that I can be. So I think it's really important for people, especially if you wanna be an entrepreneur, really understand that distinction. Am I somebody that's internally motivated versus am I somebody that's externally motivated? And there's no wrong way to go about it, but really understanding that psychological element of who you are and what motivates you will really help you be a successful entrepreneur in the long run. And it's an important question that you should ask yourself. I wanna jump into this monumental task of acquiring a million followers in 30 days. Let's set the framework for the listeners. First, where did that desire come from? And not even only desire, but I know you have a passion for understanding how things work and complex problems and how you can solve them. So, so what inspired this? Yeah, so first off, building a million followers in 30 days, it wasn't that I just woke up one morning and said, hey, I'm just gonna build a million followers in 30 days. I actually took about three and a half years to develop the system that allowed me to achieve that. And that system that I developed, uh, I was leveraging for big brands, corporations, celebrities and professional athletes, helping them grow their social audience, helping them drive social engagement around their content globally. But really where it came from is it it seeded an idea in my head. I said, it's great over the course of my career that I've been able to help people at the highest levels, whether that's building platforms for a Taylor Swift, uh, an MTV or a Viacom. But what about the rest of us? What about people starting from scratch? Could I use everything that I have learned and, and the success that I had with those clients in applying it to somebody starting from zero? And when I was thinking about that, I'm, I'm all about a person that's doing things and creating things. So I, saw, I thought to myself, the only way to really know whether or not it's going to work is to actually go out there and run a test, run an experiment. And when thinking about who would be the perfect person to run the experiment on, I thought, why not myself? Because I'd never been on television or film. I'm definitely not a professional athlete and I'll never be a rock star because I can't carry a tune to save my life. So I just set out and I said, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna see what's possible. And that's how the journey began. You mentioned some of the companies and people you worked with. 
what during that time working with those people do you really think set yourself apart from some of the other people in your same industry? How did, how did you tap into those networks? Why were those companies or those celebrities hiring you? So the only reason, or uh, let me rephrase that. The reason people hire me, the reason celebrities hire me, big corporations or brands want to work with me over other people is it comes down to one word. And that's value. As I go into any situation with a high profile CEO, a celebrity or a brand, whoever it may be, even people just starting from scratch. And I go into that situation, not trying to sell them on something, not trying to figure out how I'm going to extract something from them, whether that is money or a connection or an introduction or whatever that may be. As I go into that situation with who is this person I'm talking to? What are they about? What are their pain points? What are they trying to achieve? What are the obstacles that they're trying to overcome? And I really sit there and listen intently because that's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they go into these conversations with high profile people and they feel like they just need to talk, talk, talk and show their value versus I take the opposite approach. I try and listen as much as possible and understand who that person is. And then once I've gained enough information about what this person's trying to achieve, what their pain points are, and how they perceive the world, then I can speak to how I can provide value, how I can provide value through my products, my services, or the strategies that I can offer. That two-minute riff right there is absolute gold value. I love the perspective you go into a new client meeting with. I'm curious, you mentioned how much you concentrate on listening. Do you do much research on the client prior to the meeting, or you really want to go in there with open eyes and just listen? So when I go into a meeting with somebody, listening is the number one key ingredient to success. And yes, sometimes if I'm going into a big meeting, I want to research who this person is, what they're about, and find as much uh, detail that I can. But I also don't want to cloud my judgment of who this person is. Because if you're going into a meeting with a famous person or a CEO, there could be a lot of information about them that may be inaccurate or doesn't present them in the best light. Or maybe they've been on television and the edit doesn't represent who they are. But sometimes I'll look at interviews, video interviews, or podcast interviews, and just try and understand who they are. But again, I don't go in with a specific judgment of this is who this person is, because that can really lead you in the wrong direction, especially if you're going into a meeting with somebody that you could be catching them on an off day, or you could have read an interview or seen them on TV two years ago, and they can be a completely different person or they have a different perspective on things. So yes, it's important to do a little bit of research, but make sure that you're going into that meeting with that person with an open mind and really listening to what they're saying to you in the moment and then responding and reacting to what they're saying in that moment and what information they're giving you because that's where you're really going to connect on a deep level with somebody on the other side of the table, especially when you're talking about somebody at the highest levels. Brendan, you're already providing so many great takeaways for the listeners. You mentioned you're focusing on yourself because you view yourself as a test and experiment for this. So how did you even start? What does it look like? Are we talking just in general or the million followers? Sorry, the million followers. Yep. So the way that I approach starting building a brand from scratch uh, on social and digital platforms, whether that is for myself 
or whether that is for a client is the first thing that you really have to establish is what is unique about you? What is unique about your brand? What are what I call hook points? What are the most uh, important hook points that represent your message and your brand? And the exercise that I really employ people to do when they're just starting out, and I even use this for people that are at the highest levels, is if you're given the cover of the mag, uh, a magazine or a cover of a newspaper in your specific niche, what would be the headline on the cover of that newspaper or on the cover of that magazine that literally as your core audience member or your core customer that you're trying to attract, uh, attract as they're walking down the street on a busy street would make them stop, pick up that magazine or newspaper, buy it and read it? Because it's literally that difficult in today's society, in a digital world, because there's over 60 billion messages sent on digital platforms each day. So if you're just starting out on social, you're just starting out on digital, what are the key hook points that make you stand out, make you unique? And then once you've had those hook points established, then what are the pieces of content that you can funnel into those hook points? What are uh, videos that you can create, images that you can re uh, create that represent what makes you unique? And then the most important step that I say is about packaging content, because you could have the most valuable information, the best piece of content, but if it's not packaged for social platforms in a specific way, it could get lost in the noise of the social feeds. So what, for, for example, with video, we say the, the first three seconds is super critical. So that's why we'll put a meme card or captions on the bottom and really packaging your message in a specific way. And then the where you move from there is you've got to test. You've got to test and learn. So let's just say you start out with five hook points or 10 hook points. Go out and test it. How do people resonate with those? If they don't resonate, then create some more and create some more and keep going through that process until you find the answers that you're looking for, until you generate the intended response from the audience that you're trying to communicate with. Say we've got a young business, a young entrepreneur listening right now. There's so many different social media platforms. How do they decide which one to really concentrate on or should you be on all and spreading yourself thin? So how do you choose the right social platform for yourself? The first question is, which one do you like? Which one are you on constantly? Which one excites you? Do you love Instagram or do you prefer YouTube? Do you prefer Snapchat? Like start with what platform you use on a daily basis, which one you love to engage with. Because the most important thing is you've gotta have the passion. You've gotta have the motivation. That's the only way that you're gonna be successful in social media. So start with the platform that you enjoy consuming content for, and then get into that process of uh, creating content for that platform and getting engaged. And definitely don't dilute your energy. Don't feel like I have to be on every single social platform in order to have success. Start with one, become an expert at that, grow an audience, grow a loyal audience. And once you have that, then you can move to the next platform if you are excited about it, if you feel like it's going to be a fun experience for you. Again, if it's not, don't do it. But if you do enjoy it, then move to the next platform, the next platform, because as you aggregate audience and you generate a loyal following, it's easier to migrate them from one platform to the next. The excitement, the passion behind the one you use the most, that's such great advice. Where do you think the value lies in each one of these major platforms right now? So where the value lies in each social platform is based upon the consumption behavior. 
So let's take YouTube, for example. YouTube is an amazing platform for long-form consumption. So you can get people on those platforms to watch videos that are five minutes, 10 minutes, in some cases, 30 minutes long. Because of the way the platform is designed, YouTube primarily is a search based platform. I think at this point it's the second or third largest search engine in the world. So you have people that are searching for content around specific messages, around specific topics. So I really look at YouTube as the platform where you can engage people in a longer form format versus when you look at, for example, Instagram, it's more short form content. You know, their, their videos are capped at 60 seconds. They're extending that length uh, with IGTV. But even with that, people are, are tuning in for a shorter period of time. But where the value is with Instagram is the engagement level is so high because at this point in time, you're still reaching a, a vast majority of the followers that you have. I think at this point, you're reaching about 35% of your followers with each post versus with the other social networks, it's much less because just the scale and the amount of content that's going into the feed, the algorithms have to account for that. So really Instagram, I look at is, is extremely valuable in terms of engaging the audience through a very strong visual platform. In addition to the fact, the fact that brands, if you're looking to, to generate endorsement deals or influencer deals, brands really weigh Instagram above the other platforms at this point because of that level of engagement and interaction. I look at Facebook as an amazing tool for uh, virality because Facebook is all designed around shareability. It's just about getting your content in front of the right people and they will share your message for you. So that's, there, there's so much exponential growth in Facebook versus the other platforms. Yes, you can grow big on Instagram and YouTube, but it's more of an al al algorithmic game versus with Facebook, it's more of a democratic platform and you can get people to share content for, for you at the highest possible velocity. In addition, I see Facebook as amazing traffic acquisition tool. There's not a social platform out there that you can drive the amount of traffic out to a third-party website, to a blog, to an e-commerce site that you can with Facebook. So those are the way I look at the three primary social platforms and the, the value associated with them. I'm interested why Twitter is not involved at all in this conversation. I don't, I'm not a huge uh fan of Twitter. I think it's a valuable platform for surf certain industries, like for news, it's really valuable, but I'm not seeing the exponential growth. Their user base is declining, not increasing. Uh, and specifically with the level of engagement, the level of traffic it can generate, I'm just not as bullish on it as the other platforms and the overall value. I think that Twitter can definitely play a valuable role in an overall digital strategy but I rarely see it as a way to, to, to be a cornerstone that you build a social and digital brand off of. Do you try to keep a hand on the pulse of maybe some young social networks that might gain some traction? I think you should always be researching new social networks and new social platforms that are coming out into the marketplace, but I'm very cautious to invest in one until it's proven to have some type of traction. Yes, getting in early can uh, provide a tremendous amount of value of being uh, a key leader in that, that platform and, and generating a, a larger following quickly, but just make sure you're not diluting your energy and value and jumping on every single 
new platform that's coming out. I would wait until a platform has at least 10, 15, 20 million uh, users on it, daily active users, to really pay attention of, okay, should I invest time in that direction? Always be on the cutting edge and doing research and looking at where social is going, but don't just jump at every single opportunity that's popping up because you're just gonna burn yourself out. So let's think about the the solopreneur right now, maybe a small business. They wanna take their following, say from scratch, even just to 100,000. What does the timeline look like for that? And any idea what the cost associated with that would be? So if you're just starting out and you wanna to get to your first 100,000 followers, the first question you've gotta ask yourself is, what does that 100,000 followers get you? What is that ultimate goal that you're reaching at? Like, what is that return on investment that you're gonna get from 100,000 followers? Is that, are you gonna get a book deal? Are you gonna get speaking engagements? Do you feel like those 100,000 followers are gonna go and buy 100,000 t-shirts? Really understand the economics behind why you wanna reach that goal, because I think sometimes the people just want a huge, hit a huge number because they want a big number. They want 100,000 or a million followers just because they want it, which is not the right reason to go into it because it takes a significant amount of time and resources and investment to make that happen. So first, why do you want a large social following? Make that decision because then when you're looking at the investment it's going to take either financially or from a time perspective, then you can make the decision, is it really worth it? The one key critical goal to growth and growing in the quickest time period possible and also determining the costs associated with it is content. Is the better your content is, the faster you're gonna grow, the cheaper it's going to be to grow a social audience. But if your content is not on point, it's not effective, it's not growing, then you're, you're just not going to grow at an exponential rate. And I'll give you a specific example in a case study. So I have a, a strategic partner on Instagram for Instagram growth, and they have over 15 million followers. And we run tests on their account all the time. So we'll post a piece of content on there that says to follow my page or to follow a client's page. And you'll have one piece of content that each time they post to their fifth audience of 15 million people, it'll only generate 300 followers versus another piece of content will generate 1,000 followers and another piece of content will generate 5,000. And you've even heard of uh, people having so much success that they post one piece of content on their channel and generates over 20,000 followers. And why the differentiator between those pieces of content? It's the quality, it's the level of engagement. So if you want to be able to grow in the most cost-efficient and cost-effective way, invest heavily into your content. Make the best content possible because that is where you're gonna have the most success. Yeah, I should have clarified off the bat, we do not care about vanity metrics here. We care about leveraging your social following to drive back to business results. And you mentioned the content is so important. If someone doesn't even know where to begin with producing great content, any resources or people they should be reaching out to? The first place that I always start with content is your competitors or people that are already speaking to the audience that you wanna reach. Because the best way you can hone in your content strategy is looking at how people are being successful. So when you look at your competitors or people that are speaking to your audience, really pay attention to how are they packaging their content? Like what, not necessarily first their, their, their message or theme, but 
What are the formats that they're using? Are they using video? Are they using images? Are they using articles? And then dive in further. If they're using video, are they using captions? Are they using meme cards? What does their first three seconds look like? And really reverse engineer the success that they're having. And then once you've really studied it, and I'm not just saying look at one piece of content, look at a hundred pieces of content with each one, really dissect what is it that you think made it work for them. And then once you've learned their process of the different content formats that they've created, then start to determine, well, how can I reproduce that? How can I put my message, my theme, my topic? Because I'm not talking about copying content. Yes, copy the format, but you have to put your message, your value within that, that construct, within those socially packaged formats. And that's where I would really start to hone in because you're going to get light years ahead of then just trying to reverse uh, engineer the, the, the new wheel, the new content format. Start with what's working and then plug in your content and message. If you're looking to take notes right now, pause this, write down reverse engineer, highlight that, underline it. Brendan, unbelievable advice right there. What about the cost? I know it's gonna be different for every individual client. Say you have a client who's looking to gain to 100,000. Any idea what they should allocate in terms of budget? So in terms of cost, there's gonna be different cost elements. So you're going to have your content production costs. So the content to, to produce whatever it is, whether that's images, video, editing. So you have to have an associated cost with that. And you've got to project out how many content pieces you're gonna to have to create and what that ultimately looks like. And one of the biggest piece, pieces of advice that I can give is make sure it's an agile approach to producing content. I don't want people setting up a huge crew of 10 people and putting all this money into producing content until it's proven to work. So it's being really agile with how you're producing that content to make sure that you are doing it at a cost efficient rate until you're seeing that economy of scale and the level of engagement that is going to generate that growth. Then once you have that content, there's two ways that you can go about distributing that content. If your content is really valuable and really strong, you can reach out to people that have larger social audiences. So for example, with Instagram, the growth on Instagram is getting your content syndicated on other channels so that they can drive uh, traffic back and followers back to you versus Facebook. You can push content out through your channel and the exponential growth will happen because of the shareability of it. So if your content is really strong and it's really valuable, you can often get people to post or share that content for free versus if you're, you're just starting out and your content is not as strong, you may have to pay for placements on other Instagram accounts or other Facebook accounts to get that strategic growth. And that cost just really varies based upon the niche that you're in. But again, start with what is the return on investment that you're going to make? And that should dictate how much money you're willing to spend in terms of growing your brand, your product or service. So I know I'm not, I'm not giving you a specific answer on uh, cost, but I mean, it could be a, a matter of a few thousand dollars a month to tens of thousands of dollars a month. It just, it, it really depends on where you're at and what you're trying to achieve. But the most important thing is defining what is my return on investment? How am I measuring that I'm getting my return on investment? And then that can dictate how much money you're willing to spend for that growth. Yeah, I know that's not an easy question to answer. So I appreciate you diving into those details there. <laughs> Mislead people. That's the most important thing. It's like, 
listen, you could do all of this with no money. Like if you are a videographer and you can set up a camera around yourself, or you're, if you're somebody that's a photographer and you're creating all your own content, I don't want to make it seem like you have to invest a ton, ton of money to grow an audience. You can do it purely organically, but it's going to be time. So you've really got to measure, do I have the time or do I have the money? And that's where the investment comes with because growing a social following, especially a large social following, you're going to have to make an investment. You're going to either have to make a significant investment in your time or significant investment in terms of the financial side. We've been talking a lot about leveraging your social following. You amassed this unbelievable following. How are you best leveraging it right now? So the way that I leverage social following for myself is I got a publishing deal out of it. So I published my first book. I'm using it to secure speaking engagements. I'm using it to generate awareness about people that want help with strategy around digital and social. So that's the way that I have leveraged my social followings. But there's other ways that you can go about it. You can leverage social followings. Like, let's just say that you want to travel the world. You want to explore the world. You don't have a lot of money. You could become a travel influencer and travel the world for free. Or you could be an e-commerce business and leverage social to drive e-commerce transactions. You could be a politician that's using social to get elections or or to win elections. Or uh, you could be an, an actress or an actor that leverages their social following to stand out with casting directors, agents, and producers. So it's really understanding who you are and what you're trying to achieve and then crafting that that strategy of how you can best harness that digital strategy. Best harnessing that digital strategy. You mentioned so many different fields. That's why I think this conversation is so important. One thing you're really great at is nurturing relationships. A lot of times for you, it's with high level individuals. What do you do really well to nurture those relationships? So the best way to nurture relationships with anybody, whether you're just uh, somebody starting out from scratch or the major CEO of a company you work with or a celebrity and athlete is always make sure that you are in that relationship to provide the most value to that person. How are you going to make this person's life better, make this person's life easier? Because really that's the cornerstone of really any meaningful relationship, whether that's business or professional, is how are you contributing to that relationship? And then over time, as you've demonstrated that value, obviously it needs to come back to you as well because you can't be in relationships that are always one-sided. And whether that is they're paying you as a consultant or they're paying your business, that could be one way. Or if it's a just a mutual collaboration where you both are promoting each other's content on different channels or something else. So first starting out with fostering these relationships with how are you going to provide the most value to that person so that you can stand out above everybody else. Because what I noticed is, especially in the entertainment industry, when people are approaching uh, celebrities or CEOs or athletes at the highest levels, they're always approaching them with the idea, how can I get something out of them versus how can I provide some value or give something back to you? You mentioned the entertainment industry. You've worked with people like Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Charles Barkley, Michael Strahan. Let's take Taylor Swift. What's something you took away from her? So the biggest takeaway that I learned from working with Taylor Swift is being authentic, being authentic to to who you are and what you're about and don't waver from that. So what Taylor realized early on is 
she really loves music. And she didn't just love music, she loved her fans. She loved the interaction of giving back to her fans and engaging with them because she knew that her fans would allow her to follow her passion and to be a professional musician and focus her entire career and life around music. So what she did was she provided as much value back to her fans. She would respond to comments, she would sign autographs, she would take photos with them because she understood that that was an authentic connection that was being formed with each fan individually. And because that authentic connection was so strong, each one of those fans now wanted to help Taylor and share her music, her message, her content with the world. So by doing this with each individual fan, she essentially built an army of brand advocates with each one that was passionate about Taylor's music and sharing it with everybody they knew. And that still extends today when she's doing a 13 hour autograph signing or showing up at uh, fans' doors at Christmas and giving them gifts or showing up at baby showers or, or weddings. It's not that she's gaming the system, she's being authentic to her brand and conveying that through the relationship with fans. It's very cool to hear about one of the biggest celebrities on the planet really focusing on these individual connections. Another thing I'm curious about with you, you must have a tremendous amount of opportunities come your way. How do you analyze each individual opportunity and select which one to go with? So when you're presented with several different opportunities, whether it's job opportunities, whether it's uh, consulting agreements or people that want to work with you, the first thing is don't just look at the, the financial gain or the immediate gain. Look at it from the long-term perspective. Is this somebody I'm really going to enjoy working with, not just for the next few weeks, but potentially the next few years? Because it's super critical. And one thing that I've learned is like the people that you work with, like you're spending a tremendous amount of time with them. And sometimes you're spending more time with them than your friends and family. So really ask yourself, is this somebody I want to be in business with? And not for the short term, but the long term. So that's the most important thing that you can ask yourself if you're presented with multiple opportunities, whether that's a job, a consulting agreement, or other opportunities and partnerships is, do I really connect with this person? This, does this person understand me? Do I really understand this person? Because there's gonna be such a huge time investment in play. Yes, the financial part you should pay attention to and look at how that impacts your, your overall life as well. But what I've seen in terms of success whether you're taking a job or forming a partnership, if you're really passionate and you really connect with somebody, that will lead to the next thing and the next thing, and it'll grow from there. Versus if you're stuck in a situation where you're not motivated, it's draining your energy, it's going to make it very difficult to reach that next level, the next level of success, whether that's the next promotion, the next job, or the next business that you're gonna launch. Brendan, I absolutely love your perspectives. You have such a fresh approach in to deconstruct complicated things and just make them seem so much easier. What about when you're looking to invest in a business? Is there anything you're really looking at, maybe in terms of the founders you're trying to see from them? So there's a few key elements that I look in entrepreneurs to determine whether or not they're successful in the business that, business that they're launching. First off, do they understand what it is to be an entrepreneur? Because not everybody is set out to be an entrepreneur. Some people are set out to just work in a corporation or work within an organization. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But to be an entrepreneur, like you first have to be okay with failing. 
and being able to embrace that failure as a learning experience. Because being an entrepreneur and building a business, you're gonna hit roadblocks, you are gonna make mistakes, you are gonna fail. And the real key to success is how do you overcome that? How do you take that as a learning experience and build off of it? Because what I've seen in building my own businesses and partners and friends of mine is you start out with a very specific idea of what you want your business to be, but oftentimes it'll evolve and move into different directions from that original vision. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be able to navigate those different turns and make it successful based upon the data, based upon the feedback that you're getting. So when I look at an entrepreneur is, are they okay with failure? Are they able to adjust and learn and make decisions based upon the things that they're running into? It's no wonder you're a high-level advisor. The way you take these questions provides so many actionable takeaways. Uh, my notebook is absolutely filled right now. I've got one final question before we link the listeners up with you. Is there an idea you have that most people think is insane, but you truly believe in? I don't know if there's one that I would say is insane, but I think that there's a few that that I would say that most people don't look at and embrace. And when I just look at being uh, an entrepreneur, being a good person, it's always about constantly growing, learning and challenging yourself. And that may seem like, oh yeah, everybody does that, but I can definitively tell you they don't. Like most people in this world get very complacent with their, whether that is their, their ideas about how the world works, the way that they do business, the way that they go about their daily lives versus I am constantly trying to evolve myself as a human being. I'm trying to become the best person I can be, whether that's personal or professional. And I always want to take criticism, no matter how hard that can be. And I'm not saying it's easy because it is hard to take it, but take the feedback that you're getting from other people and also take the ideas that other people have and try and learn from them. I'm not saying that you take every single idea that somebody gives you and you automatically have to adopt it, but listen to people, listen to how different people perceive the world and really take uh, an understanding from that of how you can interact with them or engage with them in, in a unique way and how you can forge stronger connections and how you can evolve yourself as an entrepreneur, as a business person, or just a human being as in, in general. Because what I find is people get very stuck in the way that they perceive the world and they're very closed off to listening to other perspectives, other viewpoints. And I don't think you can really grow and be successful in business or personal if you're not constantly trying to look at things in a different light and looking at how somebody else on the other side of the table is perceiving a situation. Become the best person you can be by listening to the ideas of others and learning from those. Unbelievable advice once again, Brendan Kane. Let's link the listeners up. Where can they buy the book? Where should they be following you? Where can they be learning from you most importantly? Yeah, so the book is in all retail sh stores. It's on Amazon. You can go to the website, 1millionfollowers.com, and one is spelled out. Uh, people can connect with me uh, via email. Uh, my email is b as a boy at seekers, S-E-A-K-E-R-S.com. They can direct message me on, on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, feel free to reach out. I always love to hear, hear from different people and 
uh, connect. I hope they do. Guys, please pick up the book. It is linked up in the show notes. Be sure to give Brennan the follow as well. Brennan, thank you so much for joining us on What Got You There. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I've ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the New Year's goals. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested. There's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site, head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.